On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. A bit of variety across the front pages of the Sunday papers this morning. We'll start with the Sunday Times. Shortage of critical drugs is the worst yet. A serious shortage of medicines, including a life-saving breast cancer drug, is the highest it's ever been, say industry experts across Ireland who have sounded the alarm over a frightening lack of critical supplies. The Sunday Times has learned that more than 300 items are out of stock as pharmacists on the ground are seeing a shortage that far exceeds official statistics. Uh, Fluoroxyl, I hope I pronounced that right, which is a commonly described uh, prescribed drug designed to treat breast cancer, has been in short supply since February. Uh, while a substitute has been imported from France, it has been warned that changing the dosage could lead to significant side effects to patients. Uh, treatments that are also frequently in short supply include medications for epilepsy, anxiety and fertility. Uh, Sheena Mitchell, the owner of the Milltown Total Health Pharmacy, also warned that in just the last few days, pharmacists have been unable to order staple low-cost aspirin which indicates yet another supply on the horizon. That's pretty remarkable. Um, also on the front page of the Sunday Times, coalition is using spat to distract the public, says McDonald. Uh, Mary Lou McDonald, the Sinn Féin leader, criticising the coalition's row over Fine Gael's budgetary demands and joins fellow opposition leaders who call it a manufactured distraction uh, from government failings. She believes that it's all an ultimate attempt to try and distract from the uh, record numbers uh, living in emergency accommodation. Uh, more on that uh, with the paper panel in just a couple of minutes. Um, the Business Post uh, front page this morning, very striking. This is the story that you heard Ellen read in the news headlines just a few minutes ago. Three in four people believe that Ireland is taking in two many refugees according to the latest business post red sea poll after the arrival almost of almost a thousand hundred thousand people uh, in the space of a year uh, the findings also show that a similar large majority of people say that they appreciate the anger that people feel about asylum seekers being moved into their area uh, the poll indicates a rising level of concern about the arrival of 84,000 ukrainian refugees since the russian invasion last february and 15,000 asylum seekers in the last year the red sea poll finds that 75 percent of people believe that the number of refugees ireland is taking in is now too many with 19% disagreeing and 6% saying that they don't know. 74% of Fianna Fáil supporters and 70% of Fine Gael supporters believe that Ireland is taking in too many refugees in a finding that will alarm both parties. The attitude is even stronger among Sinn Féin supporters, 83%, and supporters of independence, 88%. Um, Daniel McConnell, the editor of the Business Post, is going to be with us a little bit later this hour to go through some of those findings, so we'll talk about it in more detail there. Uh, we will also hear from the Minister for Integration, Joe O'Brien. He's with us just after the news at 12, and we'll discuss the findings of that poll with him. Um, also on the front page of the Business Post, by the way, totally separate, Declan Ganley's Ravada Networks has no revenue, is not paying its debts, owes staff millions and meets the classic legal definition of insolvency, according to a New York businessman attempting to force the company into receivership. The claims were made in a court case in New York over the $3.1 million debt secured by David Schumann, who's a former friend and business partner of Ganley's, according to court documents. He is suing through a company called Astrea, which secured a judgment against Ravada in February of last year, but since claims then in filings that Ravada has not made any effort to pay the money. Um, the front page of the Mail on Sunday. Name our son's killer is the very uh, blunt headline on the front of that. The grieving parents of Cameron Blair have called for their son's murderer to be named after he appeared in court this week as an adult. It is important he is named 
We want people to know the man who murdered our son for no reason whatsoever, Cathy Blair told the Irish Mail on Sunday. Now, Cathy and her husband Noel spoke as they were leaving the Court of Appeal on Thursday, feeling some relief after they were led to believe that the man who is now 20 years old, uh, who was responsible for brutally murdering their son, could be publicly named. Uh, they were left disappointed, however, uh, amid confusion over whether Cameron's killer could indeed be identified, because part of the judgment seen by the Mail on Sunday um, states that the applicant comes before a court as an adult, uh, but in response to follow-up queries, a spokeswoman for the DPP uh, drew attention to certain clauses of the Children's Act, which identified that um, underage um offenders can't always be named in every circumstance so that family clearly looking for a bit of transparency in that instance uh, and finally for now the uh, Sunday Independent a couple of stories on the front page of the Sindo uh, we were told first of all that the TV producer who co-created the controversial toy show musical has now been tasked with steering the ship under Patrick Keelty when he takes over as host of The Late Late in September uh, Ryan Tuberty obviously hosted his last show on Friday night and the main story on the Sunday Independent that the number of households receiving emergency payments from the state to cover basic necessities like food, electricity and heating has soared but tens of thousands of claims for help are also being refused. The continuing crisis of the cost of, continuing impact excuse me of the cost of living crisis is laid bare in new statistics that show that there have been more than 180,000 claims for emergency assistance from the state in the 15 months between January of last year and March of this year but a third of those claims have not been paid out with more than 21,000 applications for help either refused and thousands more either withdrawn, pending or cancelled because applicants can't provide sufficient information to community welfare officers. Uh, That's the front page of the Sunday Independent this morning and that's your general tour of the front pages. To discuss the stories and more, uh, join us studio by Tanya Ward who's the Chief Executive of the Children's Rights Alliance and by Paul Hayes who's the Chief Executive of Beach Hut PR. Uh, thank you both very much for coming in. Good morning to you both. Uh, welcome to our newly remodeled studio. Uh, raspberry and grape is the flavour of the month almost literally. Um, I want to start with that story that I mentioned on the front page of the Sunday Times because there's a lot written about all of this inside the papers which is the, the coalition budgetary spat. Um, this idea that the Fianna Fáil ministers and others are quite upset about Fine Gael ministers taking to the front pages of the papers and announcing what they want out of the budget which dare I remind everyone is 135 days away mm-hmm. uh, l- lest we get too excited about the budget being today or tomorrow it's not it's literally four and a half months um, Tanya an awful lot written across the, the papers about all of that what, what jumps out at you today? Yeah I mean uh, fr- from loads of different angles I would, l- let's say the first off just for me you know an extra you know, this, this 100 euro tax rebate look I, I think what's really obvious is it hasn't actually dented the the numbers for Fine Gael if you look at the, the, the polling results uh, and I wonder as a proposal does it just appeal to people who are going to vote for them in any case um, I'd say if they're thinking about it please don't do it because 100 euros every every man in, or woman in the audience won't re- deliver the results you wanted to so if you think about it I know for example the OECD has talked to Ireland before about the importance of investing more in public services we actually get more as a people if they invest in public services so would you not just put the 100 euros into the health system mm. or would you not put it into But if you've got a surplus of, of 12 billion can you not do both? What what's the point? Because even even how you feel it at the other end, it's quite minor if you're in that higher tax break, the tax bracket. Because here's the other thing that could happen um, with this particular spot. And I know there's a lot of annoyance in the papers coming through from the political parties that this th- these kites are being flown. It wasn't yeah. discussed sufficiently with Fianna Fáil and the Greens before it went out mm-hmm. there. Um, you could have Fianna Fáil coming out with something that's possibly more popular, which is uh, reducing universal social charge or 
taken the first steps to, to get I'm rid sure of it. I think it would be very disappointed at Fianna Fáil uh, repeating what is effectively their policy from previous elections. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and actually that would probably help a lot more people, particularly lower income people who everyone is paying universal social charge. So that's possibly going to, that, that's possibly going to be, you know, in the papers uh, a few weeks down the line. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's really coming through on it is, you know, this government to survive to the end of its term, you're going it needs really positive relations. Um, and is it worth it? Because I think this is, it's, it's difficult for the parties, you know, because they're trying to stand out from each other. And that's why probably this, this came out as well. And it's also a tactic to help deliver it in the budget as mm. well, because if there's popular support for it, it helps, you know, it mm. helps, it helps getting Michal uh, or Michael McGrath to agree to it. Yeah. But I think the other side is it will have a negative impact on relations, um, and I and I do wish they'd pick you know pick other things that could make could have a bigger make a bigger difference to people, yeah. particularly those ones that are really struggling with the price at the cost of housing at yeah. the moment. Uh, Paul Hayes, I'm not so sure that people wouldn't turn down the idea of getting eighty five or ninety quid a month after tax if you're an average full time worker. And that's what Finnegan are looking for. If it's about a thousand euro a year, it works out at about eighty or eighty five euro per month. Don't know if people would turn it down. Yeah, they might like for there to be better public services, but they'd also like nearly a hundred quid in their pay packets every month, it, wouldn't they? It would be it would be nice to actually get some money back. <laughs> uh, they, uh, I think, this might be about posturing after the next election because when you look at who the people are coming out, it's more, you know, if you're going, if Fine Gael are going into opposition for four or eight or ten years, mm. who's going to be the leader of the opposition? And those kind of juniors are probably making their stake now that they could, you know. Yeah. Out Tory a Tory and get that tax back. <laughs> but whether it's actually going to happen or not, you know, who knows? Yeah. I'd be more worried at the macro level that we don't know what we're doing with the surplus money. Like calling it a sovereign wealth fund even seems like an overstep for me because let's call it what it is. It's American multinational tax that hasn't been repatriated. Yeah. And we're not Singapore and we're not Dubai. And it might get a few populist US politicians upset if we don't, uh, I'd say spend it, you know, yeah. give, whether, as Tanya said, put it into services or give it back. But mm. investing money that's kind of up there, and I know it's in the context of the tech thing, yeah. it'll, it'll be interesting to uh, how it's perceived outside the country as yeah. much as inside. So it's, uh, it's that's an interesting point then. So you think that the, we we generally don't have any kind of a game plan for what we're going to do with this this surplus for as long as there is one, but that we really should be getting our heads around the idea that this isn't permanent or that we should try and treat it as some fleeting thing and then yeah, splurge I mean, it on one-off stuff. It, it, it's a bit of a, a reach, but Brendan O'Connor has an interesting opinion piece where he says, like, we've won the lotto as a country, but we mm. can't get the builders to come and fix our house. And <laughs> there is a bit of kind of, you know, we're, yeah. we have, we have this extra free mm. money and we're just scared in case it's windfall and it doesn't happen. But it tend, it's probably okay for the next three or four years. Yeah. So maybe infrastructure and services is where it should go. Do you think Tanya, uh, I, this always strikes me and I, I don't mean to pin my colours to the last four and a half months. Now, let me stress it again. Four yeah. and a half months before the budget. But when we've got a surplus of about 12 billion quid anyway and the last budget included pay cuts for workers of the average wage in the region of 813 euro I think per year. And that was before we had a surplus of like 12 billion knocking around. Is the idea of giving your average full-time worker a grand, not entirely just um, like it's it's almost doesn't need saying like of of course they were going to do it and everyone in the coalition wants it to happen everyone wants to give your average full time worker some payback when the country is in the state that it is so of course they're going to say it, and it really shouldn't be contentious and Fianna Fáil like biting and saying oh no you can't be doing that so early is only adding fuel to this this controversy that isn't a controversy because they're only saying exactly what they're going to do anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating from from that perspective. And, and I would say, look, it hasn't resulted in a bump in the polls. That's pretty clear from this week. And remember the last general election, tax cuts can routage and, and afterwards and the analysis was done. Yeah. It's not what the people wanted. They wanted an investment in the public services. But to be honest, I just don't think it's enough to change if someone's going to change their voting behaviour. Mm. Like if you're stuck paying two grand on rent in a tiny house in Dublin City or Cork or Galway, wherever mm. you are around the country, it's it, you know will help you look maybe a little bit, but yeah. it's not sufficient. But it, would but you it prefer, might. It would might you, help would, you if you're looking at another two percent pay pay uh, in, uh, rent hike, or potentially even more than two percent, well, as was floated by one of the papers a couple of days ago. Well, you'd you'd pre- quite like your. Wouldn't you prefer to go more a, a much more strategic event, a, a investment in actions that could help overall reduce the price of rent for you, or help you get on on the housing ladder? Um, I mean, uh, the, the electorate is is very sophisticated in Ireland, to be honest. Um, and you know they haven't been sold. You know they haven't the, these things haven't been, have been sold to them in the past and they've yeah. said look it's not good enough to make life better for me um, I mean I think that they, they should be making a more strategic investment with the surplus that they have they should be saving some of it for mm. the future because this is this is a temporary probably benefit to the country but I think they need to be looking at the other things that can make people's lives better there's a lot more targeted interventions that could be making for people dealing with energy costs dealing with um, rent rental costs like there's people living like that aren't captured in the poverty it's, statistics who yeah. are actually living in poverty because they earn quite a good salary because they're overpaying on mm. rent that's where the focus needs there, to be and that it, 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 it's why the, some of the numbers are going towards Sinn Féin it's because the housing solutions aren't making a difference to people's lives There is a weird paradox of you're trying to unscrew the lid while tightening it a bit as well Uh, Well it, it would be good to bring you know half the electorate that don't pay tax at all sorry that's unfair they do pay universal social charge mm. in while at the same time giving them more money back so it everyone feels a, more of a so stake want, in you society want more, you, you want more universal contributions broaden and the, also universal bro- cuts broaden it so that it doesn't hurt anyone but yeah. that everyone feels that they're you know they've got a stake here mm. I mean I don't want to sound like the Tory on the panel but yeah. <laughs> up to 50% tax I am so proud that we live in the most redistributed tax system that you can have yeah. in Western Europe. Over 50% tax, I just want to turn into a Cayman offshore uh, Tory and hide it forever. And it's just a psychological barrier for me. And we are over 50% tax mm, for high yeah. earners. Uh, we never get a return on investment in public services, says one texter. It always morphs into a public sector pay and pensions hike. No thanks, uh, says somebody who isn't sure that letting the exchequer keep the money would, would go all the places that it wants to. Someone else says, whoa, here's a uh, text from 2003. How about the money is used for another SSIA type scheme? Um, I'm open minded. I don't know what the what's the perceived benefit. Does it take mon- take heat out of the economy now and then mean that you can reinflate it some other time if you put money on ice? Like I'm not sure what's the what's the the the, the macro picture there. What's I, the big picture? I remember. I think it, did the SSIA's last four or five years, and you got twenty five percent extra yeah, every year. Yeah. I remember at the so start. So take, take heat out of the economy at the time. And then yeah. basically repaid, the, put it back into the furnace in a couple of years after. Yeah, but it didn't really end well, did it? Because I remember at the start we were all dreaming about, well, the twelve grand or fifteen grand, we'll you know we'll we'll spend it on a boat. And then by the yeah. time it came around, it was like one mortgage payment. Uh, for, uh, look, imagine something like universal healthcare, free GP care. Yeah. Imagine that. I think yeah. everyone would benefit from that. Everyone pays money. People delay going to the doctor. Now, now all up to people who earn the fifty the fifty grand a year are delaying going to the doctor because of the cost. Why not invest in something like that that yeah. everyone can benefit from? I think they're much more sensible and, and the money does go further. It, yeah. al- it always does when you invest in public services and you get it right. SSIAs began to mature from the 31st of May 2006. Mm. 
Oh, I feel very uh, like I wasn't even old enough to have one at the time, but now I suddenly feel very, 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 very old. Um, we're going to talk about Meta and the DPC in just a minute, but one other text says, uh, Gavin, USC is the only bare minimum that nearly everyone pays. I don't like it, obviously, but for those of us who pay for everything in the most progressive income tax regime. Paul, have you been texting in? Well, that's making... my wife texting oh, Okay. Yeah. Um, Stop squeezing just the same people. We have far too many people who contribute absolutely nothing. Remember the IMF broaden the base. Everyone should pay something, uh, says that texter. Uh, let me know what you think. 087-1400-106 for WhatsApps. Uh, 53106 if you're just sending an old-fashioned SMS. Um, Dad, the DPC versus Meta. Ironically, contributing to the budget surplus because the $1.2 billion that Meta is paying ends up in a fine uh, directly payable to the Irish taxpayer which is somewhat ironic despite the DPC not actually wanting to levy a monetary fine on them at all. Um, but a couple of pieces written about the place um, in the Sunday papers, Paul. Um, you are in the, the tech PR world. Give us your thoughts on what you read. Yeah, I've, I've spent the last 20 years in this world and I'm utterly confused at the minute because it feels like the end of an era and the start of an era and, you know, one arm is being amputated and one arm is working out for a triathlon. And <laughs> it's like I've talked to senior people and junior people in a lot of companies that are being letting people go at the moment. And mm. if you're young, it feels awful, but it's not a tragedy. You know, it's full employment elsewhere. You're just going to it's going to be part of your journey as you go. And it's awful in the moment and you lose friends, but it'll be better for you. Uh, the older, like myself, uh, cohort who are at very senior levels in these companies and are being let go or not being let go. The ones that aren't being let go definitely feel like they need to get out anyway. You know, the shots have been fired, but it might have been a blank. Yeah. And I just keep telling them the average age of a successful startup uh, founder is 49. Don't mind all the really? Collisons and everyone else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For successful We're startups. We're influenced by this idea of it being... Because uh, we the see the outliers, you, you know. The, these young people who set up these businesses and then eventually sell them off for eight or nine digit sums and we presume that every successful startup was run by someone who's barely out of college. No, because, well, indeed, because they're the outliers and they're interesting and they're the tail that wags the dog, but the boring, you know, mm. middle-aged, white, centrist, rugby-loving dad in the middle who does start his startup, it just isn't that interesting. Okay. It's awful when you have to tell them that. <laughs> it must be great doing PR for people who are just fundamentally uninteresting. It's sadomasochistic. Um, what, do you, what do you make then of the general, the broader picture of the, the DPC not thinking that a monetary fine would actually cut the mustard or thinking that there was a case to punish Meta without actually looking for money from them. I mean, the narrative is that we're kind of, you know, captured by the uh, the tech companies because mm -hmm. we're a tech city, you know, more than even San Francisco yeah. proportionately, our money comes from them. I think opening an office in Brussels is a really clever move because there's more than one audience. You have yeah. to kind of bring Brussels along with you. And I think it's just end of an era stuff. The fines are really about regulatory development, you know, so it's like the end of the railroads or the end of utilities. Yeah. Eventually the government goes, or governments go, well done you, you were great for 10 or 20 years, it was the Wild West, you made more money than Croesus, and now we're going to own you. And mm. that's what's happening. So Twitter's going, we won't be regulated. Facebook is going, please regulate us. Even on the outskirts of you know the crypto stuff, they're looking to be regulated in the United States. They want to come in and be mm. mainstream. Uh, you know, well, the, whatever but the is remnants that, Is that are. the first sign, of when, when they want to be regulated, is that the sign of an industry that's almost in wind down, or that it kind of Not knows wind down as such as just, I think, just assimilating into the mainstream. They've had their... Yeah. Wild West, we're new frontiers and now you realise they're just the way things are done. Yeah, so. but, but it's not real though, is it? Because like, because the, the truth is Facebook is re or Meta has been really pushing back against this particular fine, even though, I mean, Helen Dixon, I think the reason she didn't want to impose the fine was it wouldn't be dissuasive on them because they earned 106, 116 billion last year. I mean, that's a staggering figure. And I think 
the reason that the, the I suppose that they di- didn't post a fine in the end is really to send a message to all the other European companies. And, and just for the listener to know what this is about, this is about your data being transferred off to the US that does not have the same protections as we do in Europe because of the, what's called the GGBR. The data is being harvested. It's being sold on. They're making their profits based mm. on your data and your data is being crawled through by the US intelligence agencies. <laughs> so that's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, I feel very uncomfortable at my data and my children's data and everyone else's data being s- sent off. Mm. And, and this is against a backdrop of a company that, I mean, to be honest, I, I think from a values point of view, it's pretty obvious. Meta continually is the worst offender in this regard, particularly they're responsible for the Cambridge Analytica event. Do you remember 87 million people's data is Mm -hmm. used and exploited. It helps bring Trump into power. It plays a role in Brexit as well. This is very targeted political campaigns and it changes the outcome. So this is big stuff. It's Mm. big stuff. I'd be, I'd be, I agree with you to an extent. I'd be more worried about Twitter. I mean, Zuckerberg just wanted girls to like him and then he ended up inadvertently radicalizing my grandmother and undermining Western democracy. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's slippery slope, really, isn't it? Slippery slope, you know, but like Musk actually seems to want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and thanks to Musk, um, I have to say, you know, I would, I would, I would often go out and look for right wing Mm. content because I'm interested to see what people are thinking. No, I don't have to. No, it's just it's coming to me. It's walking in the door. For you, it's so nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twitter says the alleged row between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael over the budget giveaways are a deflection from all the other real problems we have so much airtime and pages of papers filled with this rubbish not filled with the housing and health crisis and the media fall for it uh, fair point Eamon which is why we're not going to discuss it anymore we are going to be talking to the Daniel McConnell the editor of the Business Post about the findings of that Red Sea poll three quarters of people believing Ireland has taken in too many refugees he's with us after the break don't go away on the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. I said I was going to come back to the front page of the Business Post because the findings of the Red Sea poll, uh, in party politics, they're, they're striking enough, to be totally honest. Sinn Féin now uh, almost as popular as Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil combined. But it's far from the main finding uh, in this weekend's poll because the main finding of the poll is that three out of four people think that Ireland is taking in too many refugees. Uh, the editor of the Business Post, Daniel McConnell, is with us on the line. Daniel, thanks for taking our call this morning. Uh, just talk us through the findings and what exactly people were asked to give their opinions on. Okay, so obviously in light of you know recent goings on and, and, and protests and, and kind of ugly scenes we've seen not only in Dublin but elsewhere, we, we thought we would do a deep dive in relation to the migration issue, issue and look at people's attitudes toward that. So we asked around the number of people coming in. We also asked about, you know, you know the, 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 the issue of the anger and the frustration being voiced by communities all over the country. And in both those uh, questions, and on both those questions, three out of four, you know, 75% on the first question and 76% on the second one. Uh, so 75% basically said, we're taking, Ireland, they feel Ireland is taking in too many refugees. And then on the second question, they understood the anger being being articulated and, and being voiced by, by communities all over the country. Uh, so these are very stark findings because... Um, you know, you would have thought that, yeah, absolutely, there are issues, you know, mounting in relation to the state's handling of the large influx of people, over 100,000 between international protection and Ukrainian migrants of the last uh, 12 to, to 16 months or so. Mm. Um, but I, I, I think we like, we were certainly surprised when they, they came back as strongly as they did in terms of, you know, 
three out of four, 75 or 76 percent. So like they, they are very, very stark findings. So, um, you know, so it just I suppose it, it just cuts to the core really of, of, of the scale of the challenge facing the government and the state in terms of not only managing the, the actual capacity of, you know, allowing these people here and, and housing them appropriately, but it's the assimilation piece into communities and and, uh, and ulti- ultimately making sure that we don't see the rise of, you know, kind of far right mm-hmm. politics here in, in the mainstream. Um, because I think you know, we've seen that in other European countries in, in recent decades. Uh, Ireland has largely escaped that phenomenon, thankfully. Um, but I think there is a mighty, speaking to a number of ministers, you know, in the last 24 hours or so, um, there is a genuine concern that this is going to be, if not the issue heading into the next general election, but certainly one of the major issues facing all political parties. Yeah, uh, so 75% say that they agree that the number of refugees Ireland is taking in is now too many. 76%, as you say, say that they appreciate some of the anger people feel about asylum seekers moving into their area. 55% say they would be concerned about asylum seekers being relocated to their areas. Uh, But yet also, 49% of people say that they're not happy about the state's failure to provide accommodation for everyone, all asylum seekers who arrive here. Does that suggest, Stangle, that their people are a little uneasy about the numbers, but that they, their uneasiness is maybe about the fact that we can't put them up properly. I think so. Uh, and when you, de- you you kind of delve into the sort of the demographic uh, underlying data of the poll, I think that that's sort of borne out in terms of that. I think, you know, it, you may have a, a legitimate concern or you may have a concern around the, the number or the policy of accepting uh, large numbers of people. Um, but I think it's if you do that, you know, as a state, you know, it's it's only fair to expect you know a government to house them properly and treat people appropriately and 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 provide them the shelter that we've committed to doing so. And if you can't do that, then obviously people uh, are, are going to react. And clearly, that's been reflected in our poll findings that they're not happy with you know I suppose the scale of the response from the state. And I think what what we're largely kind of tapping into there is the you know the slow pace of delivery, the slow pace to kind of repurpose buildings that are are vacant or are not being used, and also as well, I think you know you, you know we, we've been talking about our own domestic housing crisis for almost a decade now uh, and you still see voided units in, in Dublin city centre and elsewhere you see a lot, lot you know, many main streets in towns and cities all over the country that are, are, are unoccupied and a lot of these buildings are in, are in the state's control and we still haven't managed to, to get them and get them into into use so I think that, that that frustration is certainly bubbling away and is reflected in those poll numbers yeah, uh, I was sorry Gavin sorry just one other brief bit, bit Daniel was about the fact that the um, this sentiment appears to be fairly universal across the supporters of the main political parties that it's not as if there is um, necessarily extreme dreams of opinion that people, everyone who supports one party agrees and everyone who supports one party d- disagrees that actually it's it's quite strong findings across the board as regards what party supports and whether you believe there are too many refugees here it is and, and that again was one of the most striking aspects of the poll like you say you know, this could have very well been seen as a government versus opposition story or a kind of a Fine Gael versus Sinn Féin story it isn't uh, this, these are sentiments that are that are being reflected and being kind of I suppose articulated across the board um, and I think you know as I said you know speaking to people in government already over the last 24 hours I mean this is, this is already kind of food for thought for them because you know we, we've seen these tensions emerge you know there was a row at the cabinet table you know in the last week or two between Roderick O'Gorman and the Fianna Fallers uh, over the the response uh, and I suppose Roderick O'Gorman's ability to I suppose get on top of this and, and drive the, the response ap- appropriately and adequately and I think I think the government is open to the charge that it, it isn't treating this as a whole of government issue I think you're largely seeing it as being siloed off into one or two departments who clearly aren't fit for purpose in terms of the scale of the challenge and um, so I, I think that there, there is a 
there is a kind of a, a kind of a wake up call here for government in terms of their the scale of their response. You know, as one minister put it to me last week or the week before, said, you know, money's not the issue here. It's just a, it's it's the simple capacity within the system to deliver what needs to be delivered, you know, quickly and effectively. Um, and and those frustrations are clearly being borne out. Danny McConnell, editor of the Business Post, thanks very much for joining us this morning to talk us through uh, the findings of that Red Sea poll. As I said, very striking stuff. Uh, we will be joined by the Integration Minister, Joe O'Brien. He's with us just after 12 o'clock. Uh, so we'll talk to him then and see what exactly he makes uh, of those findings. Noble Guardian on Twitter says, if somebody calls you on the phone and asks you, would you rather be greedy or generous, you're going to say that you want to be generous. Uh, uh, maybe that's a suggestion that the wording of the question was uh, might have been influential in the outcome of it. Uh, but certainly keep your text coming. Oh, one person says, how many of those complaining about immigration have relatives or neighbours that are illegal aliens in the USA maybe the USA should send them home um, that's actually one thing that we'll raise with Joe O'Brien about the ability of those who have actually been rejected for international protection how easy it is um, for them to be uh, removed from the country um, Tanya Ward your thoughts on, on the poll and what you've just heard from Daniel there yeah look I'm, I'm not surprised by the poll because I mean people are watching you know there's, there was, there's been weeks when there's been 500 uh, people seeking international protection who've been living on the streets a uh, very frightening experience for those people living through it. it's men most mm. of, but there's a lot of young men you know 18 19 and there's even some young people in there that are age disputed that could be 16 17 living in that population and they're seeing camps being burnt down they're seeing angry protests but the other side of it is I suppose of what's happening in local communities particularly because the hotel accommodation sector is really carrying the brunt of accommodation uh, most of the Ukrainians yeah. so if you think about the experience in local towns I mean people have really put themselves out really stood out to to welcome people um, but and, and the hotels of course have really benefited themselves because they have a 100% you know accommodation rate and they're making their profits but I suppose locally how people experience it is there isn't the second and tertiary business experience like the restaurants aren't getting money spent there the other parts of the economy um, even like you'll hear stories about people wanting to have a christening or a wedding they can't use the local hotel anymore so I think you know people get tired I suppose over a mm. long period of time and I suppose I, I have a bit of a frustration even generally about and, 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 and Daniel's picked up on it there you know the amount of times I come across people have said oh I've offered this type of accommodation and that's good accommodation but it hasn't been converted you know into into real uh, offerings for and, and then they see people homeless or people living mm. in the snow in, in tents but the other side of it as well is I mean I, I, I think there's two parts of it I mean why is the government department still doing this? You know, Why isn't uh, there like a separate body? Yeah, I mean, this is something the minister has talked about it having a new executive agency because this housing is usually done by um, local public national bodies. Like yeah. Government departments don't can't be asked to carry the brunt of this continually. Mm. So, I mean, I, I, I think there needs to be much more concerted effort to actually get the work of... And the other thing is the Minister, I suppose, Department of Children uh, is left with this problem of trying to find mm. accommodation. And equality but and the solution is actually... And yeah, yeah. The, but, the, but, but the the solution is actually in the hands of the Minister for Housing. <laughs> it's the truth of it, right? Because, mm. you know, and I think that's possibly what the frustration is. But just the last thing I want to say is, you know, you can look at all this as bad news, but there's lots of really good news about the, the movement of refugees into the country loads of good news coming from the education system like the schools have done an mm. extraordinary mm. job yeah. um, uh, we have like if you take the Ukrainians for example the highest registration rates of Ukrainian children in schools uh, is, is in Ireland that's something we can be really proud of yeah. and I know the Department of Education actually put new measures in place to, to help all of that so uh, like it, it's not all a bad story um, I think I think we're, it's just it's difficult for us as a country because our, because of our housing crisis yeah. That's what the unemployment bid is. Paul. 
No, I was going to say that you, you were you were nodding away when Danny was saying that there's a concern about the capacity to scale up, that the, the money is there, that the yeah. financial resources are there, but just we have a, a public ar- architecture that isn't able to spend it. Yeah, I, I think if you look, if you, everything is long-term and short-term, right? Short-term, there's an emergency. We didn't cover ourselves in glory in World War II. We have a chance to rectify that, you know, in terms of refugees. Mm. It, there is a longer-term benefit. If you look at how Ireland has changed in our lifetime, the last 25, 30 years, pretty much the advent of Ryanair, we've become the tech capital of Europe. You know, every Friday evening, the rest of Europe flies home at the weekends from Dublin. That was slow immigration that really benefited this country. This, while it's an emergency, will over the long term benefit yeah. us because, yeah. you know, we 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 benefit from this diversity. Immigrants tend to, there was a New Yorker article, they tend to go to where the opportunities are, so they tend mm. to be much more successful over time. Yeah. We just need to give them the time to be successful. Yeah. And also back to that Ryanair thing, Ukraine is just a, or Poland is just a Ryanair flight away. Yeah. This is going to be, while it's a short term emergency, it's going to be a long term relationship. Yeah, a um, lot of text and tweets still coming in about what to do with the the twelve billion surplus and whether the government row is all a bit manufactured. Uh, one person that all this this sort of sounds like Owen McGee. This is a how to be good with money sort of a thing. Uh, why invest at all? Pay back our loans. It's the first thing Mabs will tell you to do when you've got any cash spare, which is a reasonable point. Debt isn't getting any cheaper, and it's one thing the government certainly does want to do. Um, someone else says surplus money needs to be invested in renewable energy sources to make the country energy independent and to supply an income for the country into the future. Not enough long term thinking by our politicians. That's funny. I was at a press do with Michal Martin on Friday morning and asked for his opinions on this whole budgetary spat yeah. and what did he think about the Fine Gael ministers uh, looking for tax cuts. And we said, well, what's the, the Fianna Fáil signature then? And he spoke at some length about the idea of needing to keep the windfall aside to make sure that yeah. the next time the economy contracts, because it will at yeah. some point, that we've still got the cash for capital projects. He doesn't yeah. want to have another delay in the Metro or Dart Underground yeah. or all these other major capital projects. He's like, keep the money aside to make sure they still happen. So that was, I thought, very The wind telling. auction was probably the most significant thing that happened to this country in 10 years because if if we can actually get the right price for that wind and build the infrastructure, unfortunately, it's going to have to be probably someone else building the infrastructure. Yeah. That's the money to pay for schools forever. Um, Jill, by the way, uh, has taken issue with Paul because you've just insulted most of the listership when you insulted rugby-loving men. Uh, he says as one of them, to be fair. He's putting his, putting Listen, his hand up I, here. When I'm talking about a 10-year time frame to get things right, I'm thinking about Munster in my bones. Ah, there it is. <laughs> if anyone had 11.41 on the sweep of Tipperary man Paul Hayes mentioning Munster's win in the, uh, over the Stormers yesterday. There you go. Uh, and somebody else says re-free GP care. My wife is a GP. She'll get out of it if free GP care is introduced she, as it already is. She works 12 hours every day and she can't take holidays to bring in free GP care would just push it over the edge. I knew I'd hear that. Because <laughs> when uh, I remember when uh, free GP care came in for mm. under sixes actually I, I got a lot of kickback because obviously that was something we were looking for and we really backed because because there aren't enough GPs is the problem right yeah. to really roll yeah. out the service and there's mm. a fear that people just come to the doctor for no matter what but to be honest you see if you have a good universal health system where people are going to the GP and the local health service instead of the hospital takes the pressure off the hospital because the amount of times people end up in, in you know in Crumlin or Temple Street because there's no doctor available um or they had real or, or because you know they couldn't afford they, they pull it they pushed it off pushed it off and, mm. and I don't go to the GP but look alongside that you obviously want to be invested in universal health care you'd want to make sure there's more GPs available and doing all the things you need to do al- alongside that one thing that apparently a lot of people are keen to do with any money that they might get back from the budget is outlined on page 10 I think of today's Sunday Times now this is apparently an American trend but I would find it difficult to believe that it's not going to happen here uh, very soon. The headline reads, if indoor parties are hampering your style, 
call in the picnic makers, effectively talking about the rise of professional picnic makers, part of an industry that sprung up in cities across the United States, um, of people who basically want to have the most Instagrammable day out possible, but can't be bothered or don't know how to make a good hand-cut sandwich all by themselves. And so order in something that looks as Instagrammable as possible. Now, Paul is glaring across the table at Tanya because Paul isn't sure what to make of all of this. So, yeah, Tanya, do, you, do you, you not Instagram you, you your picnics, this, Paul? <laughs> you grab the long straw on this one. Um, I, I sort of feel like this is the, the Instagramification of life where basically people are like, well, there's no point in having a sandwich outdoors unless I can share it and I can't share it if it doesn't look nice. Uh, yeah, it's silly, it's silly stuff. You know, we all we like to we all like to present our best life, you know, on, on Instagram. And this is, it, it, it's one of the things that, you know, kids and young people are told you're, you're, this is not real life you mm. know person has picked out the best photo yeah. in all year to show mm-hmm. and to show you to make it look good and obviously it makes you look competent as well because most of us know if you're working full time the house is a mess you know putting a good picnic together is very challenging and difficult but you're oh making it look God. good to everyone else Th- in your social like circle the end of the era of free money you know it's like when <laughs> money is free and you know zero percent interest rates you can do this stuff there's a criticism of uh, mm. Silicon Valley that it's just stuff your mother used to do for you yeah. It's what they invest yeah. in, you know, from Uber to give you a so list. So this is like 2006 all over again that then it was like people were buying hot tubs because the money was free and this people might were like, oh, let's get someone else to make my sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. And also picnics. I'm with Christopher Hitchens. The four most overrated things in life include picnics and then some other stuff you can't talk about on uh, and then Breakfast not Particularly no, no. on the beach. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, the pandemic had closed restaurants, says the piece in the Sunday Times. He says, desperately trying to wrangle this back to some safe, family-friendly territory. Uh, birthday parties and celebrations were moving outdoors. Social media filled with images of low tables in Central Park, laid with cakes on stands and towers of macaroons, steadily raising expectations of what was required from a picnic. It's very Instagrammable says Amanda Eddington, one of those uh, entrepreneurs has mentioned this piece. Her first clients were a couple who wanted to have one beside the Hudson River. It was an anniversary picnic. They wanted red colours. Look, now I don't know how to feel because I was I was Im- immediately going to set out and say, oh, this is just a like this desperate orifice of a really superficial part of society. And then I'm like, well, actually, no, if it was in the middle of a pandemic and you're having a pretty miserable time, you just wanted a bit of a treat. Got someone to make it something that looked nice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the positive side of it, right? Because, you know, there's no doubt about it. But I think, I suppose now, cynically, um, and I think it's the marketing line, you know, because how many times have you have you heard this as well? Mm. Something that's Instagrammable to make you look good. That's yeah. what the message is rather than actually, isn't this a great experience for your family? You know, uh, I, th- I think it's moved to a different level now when it's when it's and it's really just about selling your selling your best self. That's what the yeah. message coming through in the article. My, my sympathy for it has been de- demolished by reading another paragraph which is that most professional picnic makers charge 60 to $100 per person. 60 to $100 per person. Many serve food and arrange a musician, photographer or a magician. Some provide heated tents or string quartets. Uh, I'm already lost now, but this this is the real kicker that really removes the, the, um, the gloss from the whole thing. The weather is the great unknown. At one person's first gig for a corporate client, it started pouring. They moved the picnic under the trees where, busy finishing a bouquet of flowers, she cut her finger. I was bleeding profusely, she said. We were trying to clean and dry up the plates. It was horrible. Make your own damn sandwiches, says this boomer. (laughs) (laughs) And cut your own finger on your own sandwich knife. Uh, Shout out to Patrick, by the way, who says this is the best Sunday radio for the morning cleaning. Hashtag getting old. Um, I would like to remind my children that it's possible to clean while you're young as well. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.
We're still joined in the studio by Paul Hayes and Tanya Ward to discuss some things that were catching their eyes in the Sunday papers. Um, Tanya, you want to discuss a piece on page 21 of the Sunday Independent. Now, this goes back to the theme of the local elections in Northern Ireland, which took place about 10 days ago. Uh, for the first time ever, nationalist parties winning more votes um, in the local elections than uh, unionist ones. Nationalist councillors winning more seats than unionist ones. And of course, it's brought back the whole question of what sort of place would we be for unity? And uh, Ailish O'Regan is writing a piece which even sort of takes up the theme of having somebody from the six counties hosting the Late Late Show. Um, but you thought it raised some interesting questions about what Southerners might be willing to offer for the sake of unity. Yeah, and and, and even going back to the results uh, in the local elections, I mean, I, I, I even wonder, and, and you might answer this question, Gavin, why there wasn't more political coverage of it, mm. to be honest, because like it, it, it's a very significant result because obviously the unionists are not in the majority anymore. Uh, and not only does Sinn Féin do very well, but the Alliance the Alliance Party did very well as well. But if you look at the history of Northern Ireland and the gerrymandering that took place in Northern Ireland, like City Hall and the local councils were predominantly c- controlled by the unionists, yeah. to be honest. And mm. one of the tactics they used to use to maintain their vote was um, Catholics used to be accommodated in a particular ward, was overpopulation, they'd spread out the unionists in the other wards, so therefore, you know, protecting and, and holding on to their vote. So seeing this as a result, it, it's much more than just the nationalist vote. From just a human rights and democratic mm. point of view, mm. it's overcoming this terrible period where people were disenfranchised uh, from the vote. Um, but, but what does it mean overall? I mean, it, I, I definitely think there probably wasn't enough attention uh, down south in terms of what happens and uh, Isla Shahanan is citing Andy Pol- Polak is saying that look the media is not doing this job talking more about Northern Ireland because I, I, I think we are quite divorced between the local events that are happening yeah. in, in both parts of the jurisdiction ah, yeah. well, this, I, yeah. I remember I, when I, I did Human Rights in Queens and I just realised I know nothing about this place when oh, I was yeah. up. I didn't know they had their own law. Like there, there used to be um, bomb scares on the on uh, on occasion, you know, and you'd be taken off and put on the bus. And I come, you know, I come home the next day and I tell people what happened. And they said the bomb scare. I thought we had peace. I said so did I. <laughs> so like, <laughs> there, like there is definitely something there. There's something missing, I think, in, in terms of the media coverage of it. But I think what's significant even this week, um, Brendan Leary gave it, and he's picking up the same themes as as I Shahan, and he gave a lecture in UCC uh, this week de- uh, about I suppose what's happening in Northern Ireland and, and, and he's talking more about we need to think about the future mm. um, we need to, and, and, and he's asking people to think about loser's consent that really if we want whatever's going to unfold and he talks about this more in the context of, of, of unity but of course there's lots of different ways whatever's going to happen in the Ireland of Ireland could unfold um, yeah. I, I know I've talked about that on, on this show but he's talking about the need for to be a successful democracy we need losers consent um, I think uh, it goes beyond losers consent yeah. I think it's actually if you look at the unionist mindset and this is going to be intergenerational this is going to be a 25 to 30 year project you know because yeah. there are certain people that are just never going to accept it mm. and I think if you looked at you know 30 years ago Northern Ireland was superior in its services in its yeah. environment its structure yeah. I, I think we need like to be in primary school and the teachers being like if you ever go north of the border and we were only in Meath it wasn't really that far yeah. away but they were like if you ever go to Northern Ireland uh, you'll notice because the second you cross the, the border the roads get better they trim their hedges yeah. Yeah. but also we need to make Belfast Singapore like we need to make it much more that's the cost it, it, they will only join from a position of strength. If they're yeah. weak, they're going to resist it. So it needs to be, like the last thing that they successfully built, and I'm being very unfair to Northern Ireland, was the Titanic. I love the t-shirt in the uh, Titanic yeah. order. It says it's it was grand when it left, left here. here. Yeah. But with Brexit, they actually have the opportunity that like 
unity is much more likely to come about if Belfast actually becomes the first city economically again and it has a shot or, but it's 25 but, but, or years here, or nothing happens and this stalemate that's ongoing yeah, yeah. because if you if you can imagine if you even think now I mean not, the, the, the Catholics are in the in the majority mm. um, and, and, and probably for people who are Protestants will say mm. um, they're more likely to want to hold on to what they have at the moment uh, and there's a growing interest I think in the unity question among Catholics among people who don't mm aspire actually to either religious group but if uh, economic stagnation continues I think they'll be looking south um, because you know we do we do have the resources what's interesting about what Brendan O'Leary says this week as well we should actually with this is what we were talking about our surplus we should Mm. be creating uh, a fund actually for the future so we don't end up in a situation like you know like a Brexit situation something lands on us and we're just not ready for the kind of work that we need to do Europe will pay for it anyway just to annoy the Brits well yeah yeah. (laughs) it's grand then don't need to plan about it That'd be fine. Um, finally, for now, uh, and this actually isn't in today's papers, but it's on the Irish Times website today. And we were discussing this during the ad break polling. You mentioned you've got some some uh, familiarity with it. Uh, they're installing new security scanners in Terminal One in Dublin Airport, which will result in people no longer having to remove laptops and fluids from their bags. How? I'm all for it, but just they, how? They were testing it uh, over Easter with families because we just got diverted into this lane and it was like magic to the natives. I've never been so impressed with something that our bags could just go through. Now I can just worry about 50 mil servings of whiskey and not 50 mil serving of, of, of sun cream. Uh, like it's... But like, so it, it's still, is it still a, because th- there's a thing where you go in and instead of being patted down, you put your hands up and the, oh, yeah. the scanner thing rotates around you. But this is about your actual luggage. This is the luggage. You're never taking it out again. You're never showing your, 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 your dodgy creams mm. and potions to anybody mm-hmm. ever again. You know what I mean? Mine were pretty bad at my age. <laughs> okay. You accumulate you a lot of that lot stuff. Yeah. It's great to see technology <laughs> doing <laughs> such a positive we, thing for people. We need people. to go to an ad break now because we need some some time off air to discuss what Paul Hayes' lotions and potions were. Uh, Paul Hayes is the CEO of Beach of P- uh, PR and uh, Tanya Ward is the Chief Executive of the Children's Rights Alliance. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.